1: Life is full of unpredictable and uncontrollable moments. A doctor tells us that a shadow has shown up on our CAT scan or a car runs a red light and smashes into us or our computer is misbehaving and we have to stop what we're doing and try to get a live person on the line to tell us how to fix it. These are just a few examples of many occurrences that show up unexpectedly in our lives. So the question is, how can we better cope with our own sense of being overwhelmed by these unbidden occurrences? Today, we'll be exploring ways to be more effective in coping with the challenges of daily life, as well as how we can tap into our inner brilliance with our guest, Guy Finley. Guy Finley is a spiritual teacher and author. He's the founder and director of Life of Learning Foundation, a nonprofit center for transcendent self-study located in Merlin, Oregon. He hosts the Foundation's Wisdom School, an online self-discovery program for seekers of higher self-knowledge. He offers free online classes every Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, and each class includes a question and answer session with Guy. Guy Finley is the author of over 45 books, including The Secret of Letting Go and The Seeker, The Search, The Sacred, Journey to the Greatness Within. Join us for the next hour as we explore how to get in touch with our own interior greatness with our guest, Guy Finley. I'm speaking with Guy and his home by Remote Connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Guy, welcome once more to New Dimensions.
2: <laughs> yeah. Nice to be with you again, Justine.
1: It's great to be with you. I want to go back, first of all. To your teacher, Vernon Howard. And who was he? And can you please share a bit of his wisdom that you've gleaned through the years?
2: Mr. Howard was, and as far as I'm concerned, still is, even though he's not in his body, a tremendous light in this world. Uh, His work was a direct influence and, in many ways, the continuation of my own development prior to. Meeting him and in the time that followed. And I I can't think of a more pertinent uh, influence for myself because the essence of Mr. Howard's work basically was simply self responsibility. Where is it, when is it, and why is it that I deflect unwanted moments instead of using them as a point of reflection, that I might learn something about my own consciousness through the contact that I have with that moment, that one part of me says, no, I don't want that. I'm overwhelmed by it. But another part that is waiting for those moments, we know the saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Well, what's the teacher other than that moment we don't want to help wake us up to the parts of us that sit almost waiting for something to resist so that it can continue its life at the cost of our own? I'm grateful to Vernon Howard for giving me a direction into a life that is divine in origin that I might be delivered from the hands of Guy into the hands of something altogether different.
1: I love it. Delivered from the hands of our our, our own foibles, yes. so to speak. In your book, The Seeker, The Search, The Sacred, there's this wonderful analogy that you give or image you give that really is when the seeker becomes awakened to the idea that they're going to be on a search. And this is a woman walking on an island by herself. Do you recall uh, this?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, I do. I do. I do. Yeah, please, I do.
1: please share with us that image.
2: Okay. First uh, one thing quickly. I wrote this book because in the years way before I wrote it. I began working with Mr. Howard, basically transcribing a book of his called The Mystic Masters Speak into newspaper articles so that people could be introduced to these seeds of fire, because that's what I've always called these teachings from the days and times long gone. The Secret of the Search the Sacred is a compilation of quotations and essays that I wrote and that take these ideas from 5,000 years ago to present day. And produce an overwhelming clear view of the fact that now to the story, we are all in this world looking for what we don't really know we're looking for. In the end, we're looking for ourselves. So this story is about a young woman who, stranded on a beach, one day discovers footprints. And she thought she was alone. And of course, the footprints represent these seeds of fire, these beautiful ideas that have been handed down from generation to generation that stir in us this sleeping fire, this wish to enter into another order of ourself that we might discover in that other order of ourself. We are not alone on this island called earth, not alone in this island called self, but rather we already belong to something that has seen to it. We can find our way into this unity if we will just enter into the journey and let the journey lead us where it will.
1: That's so beautiful. And it just reminds me of something that you have written in this book. And I'm, I'm going to quote it because it's so beautifully put. Um, you say, everything in creation longs to touch and to be touched. Flowers and trees stretch their leaves and limbs up to the sun just as a sun reaches down to touch them that's so so beautiful and and it's really about the invisible law of nature and mutual attraction and 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 it has to do to, for me about that seeker and how this attraction permeates the whole of nature so that search it just reminds me of how that search is a natural process would you say yeah.
2: yes Look, You've touched on something important, and really the heart of this book of mine is this idea that not only as above, so below, as the Hermetic teachings, but as a continuation of that, as within, so without. And the description of that little essay, that one essay in the book, speaks to the fact that we are intended to be in a constant state of conversion. What is life other than a ceaseless reconciliation of energies from on high coming into what is beneath it, being converted, and then making the return journey back home. Real life is a current. And in order for us to enter into the current, we have to be willing to be converted by what happens to us as all of that energy from the divine comes in. So that to the point of your opening comment, Justine, you said we're so overwhelmed by life you know, COVID and identity politics and all of the rest of that stuff. And the fact of the matter is it isn't life that is overwhelming us. We are overwhelmed with resistance to life because we don't know what to do when all of this energy pours in and we experience pain. We blame the pain of this conversion on the content of the conditions around us Instead of letting the conditions become the conducive, the conductor of that which awakens us to these parts that do resist life, does the flower resist the sun that gives it its beauty and fragrance? Or does it take that energy in and, as it is created to do, convert that energy into what will become beauty and food and substance for everything that it serves? This is what we are meant to do as well. And that's the purpose of this book to introduce the reader to that beautiful flow, that current of celestial cosmic energy intended to turn our consciousness into a willing recipient that receives it and is converted through it.
1: You, you mentioned the flower, uh, and I'm thinking of another analogy that you mention in the book, and it's the freedom with which the birds soar in the sky or fish Swim in the sea, and and that's really your message, isn't it? It's it's about that kind of freedom. Like, how can we, as human beings, who as as you spoke, uh, resist and and feel <laughs> overwhelmed by all of this stuff? Uh, we live in this way of being triggered by endless thoughts, and and by our constant need to feel comfortable. And I think you mentioned this specifically in the book about our, we are always going for comfort. What is the fallacy of that? Or where can we do better than just seeking comfort all the time?
2: Look, as simply as it can be put, we are only comfortable in familiar circumstances. Change the circumstance turn it into something that is unexpected or unwanted, and suddenly I am filled with being disturbed. I have this expression. I call life, real life, a cosmic swizzle stick. It is forever stirring up the content of a consciousness that doesn't want to be stirred up. On one hand, it says, oh, yes, please, God, come in, touch me, wake me up, stir me. But the moment that the form of the teaching comes into the student that doesn't match what the student wants, suddenly, oh, no, don't do that. So I call a crisis a close encounter of the truthful kind, where in that moment, something in this consciousness that does not want to be disturbed is suddenly disturbed. And the solution to that unconscious reaction is to do what? to try to control, change, or otherwise avoid the circumstance it blames the disturbance on. But what if we could have a new understanding where we recognize the task is not to go through trying to control or change the unwanted moment, but to allow the unwanted moment to bring us into a point of conversion, where we actually get it. Oh, I see. The moment is trying to show me something about myself I don't know. I have a favorite saying, Justine, when it comes to unwanted moments. Thank you, I didn't know that about myself. Because that brings our attention interiorly, instead of letting it be directed by a negative reaction outside of us that blames the circumstance, then every condition serves this longing we have to become a more compassionate Uh, awakened human being as opposed to conditions challenging us as they do because they're not familiar.
1: I'm here with Guy Finley, and he's the author of The Seeker, The Search, The Sacred Journey to the Greatness Within. And I want to let people know that his book is available on his website for a discount if you mention New Dimensions, and his website is guyfinley.org. Guy, G-U-I, Finley, F-I-N-L-E-Y dot O-R-G, GuyFinley.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Music. I'm here with Guy Finley. He is a spiritual teacher and founder and director of Life of Learning Foundation. And his newest book is The Seeker, The Search, The Sacred Journey to the Greatness Within. And I'm wondering, we're we're talking about reactions and about uh, the conditions that exist in the world and uh, there are the personal conditions that we react to and we we want to you know, resist. But then there are the collective. There are the world um, conditions that maybe need, in my opinion, our attention, such as um, right now, as we're talking, people are fleeing their homes in Ukraine uh, <clears throat> from being bombed. And uh, so how do we coordinate like the personal and right. The, the right world conditions so what's what do we do with those
2: we have to have a new understanding justine because in no way am i suggesting that one doesn't feel sorrow uh, maybe even anger uh resentment regret these uh these reactions are in one respect totally natural but we have to Put all of this into a context that allows us, God willing, to understand that there's a great difference between being identified with a moment and being intelligent about it. There is no intelligence in identification. None. Because what is identification other than something that I believe I am, I've done, I know that how things should be? And then when life doesn't match that, then suddenly I'm all up in arms, rioting, causing problems, producing political power. I'm doing something to try to change the condition because I have failed to understand no condition exists in this world that isn't a manifestation of our consciousness first. That means that consciousness and its transformation must come before action, that anything suggested by a reaction becomes my identity. So that, for instance, here I am, and I hate what Russia is doing to the Ukrainian people. This is what we are shown on TV. It certainly seems reasonable. Seems like these people are monsters. All of these reactions come up in us. But is hatred not monstrous, Justine? Isn't to hate anyone monstrous? Can there be a justification for trying to destroy something that I think shouldn't be destroying something? So you see, we we need a deeper view of where it is that we are involved and ultimately complicit for the conditions that we see in this world. We wouldn't have wars if it weren't for economy. All wars are about the idea of resources, who controls them, who has access to them, and who will decide who gets them and what doesn't. And we can look at the history of the world, and by the way, the fall of every civilization, and we can see that over time, resources were becoming scarce then there was the control of resources. There were political powers to try to produce some kind of a authority. And I don't want to go too deeply. I just want to get to the point that when we understand that you and I are, in fact, a participant in these things that are taking place around us, then our responsibility becomes to have a new relationship to these parts of us that think maybe I have to have a certain kind of car. I have to have a certain kind of income. I need to dress in a certain way. I need people to see me in this light or not that light. So that then my character cannot be separated from the conflict that I see unfolding. And I'll ask you, Justine, just to bring this to a head. When I'm in pain over what I see in the world, is my pain different than your pain? Or is it the same
1: pain? Well, it's. I think it's probably the same pain.
2: It is the same pain. And isn't the same pain, doesn't it mean that it's not mine, not yours, not theirs, but it's our pain? And if we understand it's our pain, then isn't our responsibility to first be involved in bringing a resolution, a reconciliation to the consciousness responsible for the pain? The conditions don't create the pain, Justine. The conditions are an extension of a consciousness that doesn't understand its own complicity. Because if I demand that you be what you need to be so that I'm happy with myself, is not that demand complicit in the conflict between us? And as long as I have that demand, can I do anything other than blame you for not
1: answering what I need you to see me as being? Guy, I have to help myself understand better what you're saying. because yes yeah i'm I'm having trouble. I'm having okay. trouble understanding what you're saying because let's say, um I know for myself, I have felt not not a sense of needing to riot or even a sense of hatred. these are these are very, very big, big words right. uh, that are associated with big emotions. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, I see an injustice. Yes. So I collectively meet with my neighbors and I go out to the town square and I stand with my neighbors with a sign saying, this is unfair. And I feel this is really an important not this isn't about my consciousness and and getting you know going to the inner brilliance and any of that stuff guy it's about saying i'm going to stand with others and say here is an injustice and i want to be counted just yes. for that and i don't believe guy that there's anything wrong about that i don't believe that that's anything about my uh, a default Terrible thing about my consciousness. So please help me understand what you're saying. Okay. I
2: want to. I want to because I don't see anything wrong with standing up for what I believe is right. But what I do know as a fact is that here I am saying this is unjust, this is unjust, and then I fail to see that when I make that cutting comment to somebody that I know that I was a participant in an unjust moment that I'm almost always without seeing it somehow or other participating in what is not just. I don't want to accept my responsibility. I I stand out here because it's quite clear to me. this This is not justice. This shouldn't be that way. People should not be allowed to run through stores and steal things from stores. That is not just. I don't care how we reconcile it. It's not just. And yet. I will sit down with somebody and I will steal their attention by complaining about something. And then I believe I'm justified in my complaint. I'm talking about something that underlies these individual expressions of our consciousness so that we can do first and foremost the work of understanding what is just and what is not. And it is never just to hurt myself or another human being. If I could start with that. Then I can do anything and everything else because then I'm participating.
1: But but, guy, guy, we yeah. just because we can't be perfect in all of our actions, and, and we can we can try and be effective in our actions. We can be uh, uh, try and get conscious of where we we ourselves are being unjust, uh, and constantly look at that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't act in some uh, way that is helping helpful to others. I I still don't get it. I don't I, get I, that's it.
2: That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, it's
1: okay. I, okay. All right. Help it's, me. Help me.
2: Yeah, it's okay. I'm simply saying that there is a first. Physician, heal thyself. Let Does you, that mean I no, have to no, be... No.
1: Totally in consciousness and totally aware before I can do anything?
2: No, no. See, you're you're separating out the awareness of myself from the action that I take. All I'm saying is let me first be aware of myself, and then in that awareness, let that intelligence choose the action. That's all. Because then I can go and do what I believe is right. I can stand up for whatever it is that I believe needs to be stood up for. But I'm not standing up there so identified with something that I can't see the forest for the trees. Because that's what happens to us in this world. So this is merely an illustration of this idea. Very famously, let those of you who are without sin cast the first stone.
1: Okay, well, let me... Okay, okay, let me give you an example. Okay. in In a recent women's circle, we did a, um, a ho'oponopono, yes. uh, and and it was like really a, a forgiveness sort of thing. And some of us actually went to a deep forgiveness of Putin, of Vladimir Putin, and really mm-hmm. holding him, taking any negativity into ourselves and transforming that into light and sending light out to this person rather mm. than sending hatred mm. out to this person. Yeah. So that was that was I I don't know where that fits into it, your it does. It does, it I does. your stuff it, here.
2: It, 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 it fits perfectly because you're not really transforming Putin? Who in God's name is Putin? Putin is an aspect of this unconscious nature, as is every human being, an expression at some level of depth, darkness, light, love, hatred. Everything is in this consciousness. So when you do something like that, you're not changing Putin, you're changing the consciousness of Putin. And in that change, you have put first things first, because I have to give something up of myself in order to actually get to the point where I don't want to hate, because I know that hatred is too big a cross to bear, to quote Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. So that that that's a beautiful thing to understand. That's first things first. My consciousness is what must be changed. In order for my consciousness to be changed, I have to change my relationship to it that's in our control and that's part of what it means to seek the divine and to find a life that is divine in our own consciousness
1: okay okay so and you are it's like if we hold hatred that that's actually self-destructive that yes. that's oh, not absolutely. helpful to us
2: absolutely it, and it, we th- it is it, it is holding hatred is the illusion that there's someone in me better than Putin, that there's someone in me who knows how things should be and you don't, and I hate you for the difference between us. That's what racism is. All of that is the essence of a separation in this consciousness that we don't see or understand. But you've touched on it by going into this consciousness and understanding. That's its tendency. My identity wants to hold that, but I'm going to let it go in favor of something higher.
1: I'm here thank you thank you guy I'm here with Guy Finley and he's the founder director of Life of Learning Foundation author of The Seeker The Search The Sacred Journey to the Greatness Within I'm Justine Willis Toms you're listening to New Dimensions mm-hmm. here with Guy Finley. He's a spiritual teacher and author. And by the way, his book, if you go to his website and you you mention New Dimensions, you will get a discount. You can go to his website. That's guyfinley.org, Guy, G U I Finley, F-I-N-L-E-Y, guyfinley.org.
2: If you go to my website and you want to get the seeker, the search, the sacred, and just put "new dimensions" in the gift area, gift field, mention it. Then you get the book for only five dollars. This is in the U.S. only. I might add. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, and and you get the book for five dollars. It's fifteen dollars normally, but Justine and I are new dimensions. We go way back, and I want to share this these ideas. So, new dimensions. Just put that in the coupon field. You get five. You get the book for five bucks, including shipping in the US only.
1: Thanks so much for clarifying. And and thank you for offering that to our listeners. And Guy, I would love for you to to talk about um, in contacting the powers within, that brilliance within, um, you talk about three ideas, the threefold power And I I felt like this was really important and these ideas. So can you mention those and help us understand? I
2: will if you repeat them to me.
1: Okay, right. Discrimination. Oh, thank you. I'm so sorry. Discrimination, intention, and illumination. So Uh starting first with discrimination, the ability to discern or from what's true and what's false. I mean, this is so important. And yeah. <laughs> is, oh, my goodness. So that's why I bring it up.
2: Yeah, no, I love your passion, Justine. <laughs> <laughs> We're kindred spirits. We Look, are. Yeah. Discrimination. That's what we just spent the last section talking about. Can I be present enough to tell the difference between a passion I have for what is right and true versus being overwhelmed by this identity that I have of being someone who is right and true and everybody should follow that's discrimination and the difference between identifying with an idea versus becoming aligned with the idea that's quite a difference because in one I'm the instrument of a false sense of myself believing myself to be all that that I'm not and the other I'm in communion with the nature of that idea and wanting to be the instrument of it by the way at the cost of this little self that wants to be so uh, seen as such an authority discrimination 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 and that requires the second of the two fields which is what did you repeat it please the second Intention, of the two fields
1: the will to act and clarify one's discoveries
2: right so here i am and as a rule i'm not very discriminant when i'm caught up in a reaction am i i'm the instrument of that reaction no
1: you're and acting the, again as you always it, have yeah yeah
2: exact, exactly just a continuation of an old nature so now i have an intention i want to come into this moment with you uh standing if i'm if i'm sitting there and and standing up for what i think is right i want to have the intention to be as true and clean and pure and innocent a human being I can be. I know, as you said, I'm not perfect. I'm so far from perfect, it's terrifying. But I won't let the fear of my imperfection stand between me and what I know is true. So I have to have the intention, and then I take it into that moment with me, the intention being to discern the difference between what is good and what isn't, which only awareness can tell me. And if I enter into that moment with that willingness to have an intention to discern, lo and behold, the third quality, illumination. Because at last I get a chance to see the content of my consciousness instead of being the unwitting manifestation of something it insists i be so that i can live up to who and what i think i am or what others think i am
1: and in, and in that illumination it's um has to do with our our self-imposed limitation too mm-hmm. and i think uh and you may want to say something about that but how how we limit ourselves or or how we're tempted, and we often do this uh, to give our life over to something that promises to empower us to yes. to make us safe, you know? Yeah. Uh, so oh, boy. You,
2: you just tied a whole bunch of things together. <laughs> well, but but so, but so perfectly, because here we are. And the temptation is always to surrender ourselves to something that we think is greater than ourselves, which is on one respect, what we are in this world to do is to surrender ourselves over to this illumination. We do not create illumination. We enter into it. Illumination cannot be separated from the revelation of the moment. Revelation is illumination. Suddenly, I get to see something in myself I didn't know was there. Thank heavens, I always thought I was this kind of person. Suddenly, in this moment, I realize you know what? There's something in me that's not quite what it thinks it is. Revelation, illumination, and illumination in the end is integration. Because when I see something, and I know it's not wholesome, I know it's not good for me, such as hatred, in that moment of illumination is not something that formerly was separated, me who believes that hating you proves I know what love is. Now I get it. Oh, that's not love. I had given myself over to something that was a powerful sensation, but there was no intelligence in it. Suddenly, illumination revelation, integration, and I exit that moment a different order of human being than I went into it because I accepted the illumination. This is powerful stuff to recognize this can be a moment-to-moment experience in our life if we're willing to be present enough for it to take place.
1: And Guy, when, when you talk about this, about this kind of illumination, and going beyond our limitation and and have this revelation i i think of myself uh, like my definition of god let's say at mm-hmm. least for the moment it's constantly evolving <laughs> yeah. but for the moment it's like um i am embedded in and it is in me this divine intelligence Yes. I'm not separate from that, but it's yes. it's but it's it's a matter of accessing it, of exactly of, of like being aware of it. So that's what a lot of your teaching is about. It's about uh, accessing the awareness that the truth that we have this brilliance within us and all around us
2: yes and it's absolutely. not up
1: in heaven no. it's it just it permeates everything as we said earlier in the interview uh nature uh the whole of nature is a mutual attraction and so here it is we're 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 living in it, it this is the soup we live in <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, it, I, all right, well, I'll get off my high horse and my own, my own preacher self. So is it, please, please help us to know how we can become more aware of this.
2: That's, you, you've, you've uh, again, look, when does a man or a woman, let's say down to earth, I'm addicted to something? I'm addicted to a drug, a food, an identity? A substance, a thought pattern, I'm addicted to it. When do I suddenly know I'm addicted to something? Unless something comes into that consciousness that was already there, but that it was asleep to. So that's the old saying, I was blind, but now I see. In Christian scripture, there is a light in the darkness that comprehends it not. There is in us an intelligence, a divinity, that our present consciousness is out of contact with because we're too busy trying to build a kingdom in our own image. And to understand that allows me, in the moment where suddenly my kingdom comes tumbling down, to recognize instead of I've got to build the kingdom back, maybe I was building the wrong thing for myself in the wrong place. So then illumination begins the negation process of this identification, which in the end, that's all what spirituality is. It's not this, it's not that. It is a process of negation, not adding something to myself, but recognizing where something in this consciousness did add an image, an opinion, a belief, an ideal, and became so identified with it, it lost the forest for the trees. Now we understand the task at hand is to allow the moment to reveal to us what formerly we thought was something important, but now we see it was disempowering us because it was isolating us from this intelligence that knows not to hurt itself and that always does the right thing at the right time with the right people.
1: This this really takes me to um, the idea of like we we put on a pedestal this ability that we have as humans that hmm. we have this ability to imagine things we create right, right. Yeah, yeah. so much out of our imagination and so i was really curious because i noticed that you said you've written something about a negative imagination what do you mean guy about a negative imagination what is that and how- I, I
2: wish i wish our interview could go on for days every time we get together such a great question because it points right to the heart of this your intuition spot on justine look we are endowed by this life that has given us a life with the power to create and basically we we create through the process of experiencing something we long to manifest imagining what we want to manifest and bringing it about into this world but we are we are creations before we're creators and there has to be that understanding i'm not the creator of love You said it. I'm not the creator of intelligence. I am a creation of intelligence, imbued with intelligence, imbued with love. So, when we get lost, is where we start to think of ourselves as the creators of this world instead of recognizing our first responsibility is to be part of this bridge of love, this bridge of intelligence, this bridge of the divine that ceaselessly touches and reconciles everything that it does. If I find myself There, I can't get lost in the illusion that I'm the creator of what I do. That's hell on earth, by the way, to believe I created this kingdom because now anything that threatens it is my enemy, and I have hatred towards what threatens my kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no hatred.
1: This is like being a junkyard dog. <laughs> <protecting>. <laughs> I'm here with Guy Finley, and he is the author of many, many books, including The Seeker, The Search, The Sacred Journey to the Greatness Within. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Guy Finley. He's a spiritual teacher and author of many, many books, including the Secret, the Search, the Sacred Journey to the Greatness Within. And Guy, I, you know, I I often think um, use my own analogy is um, that we create we we live in this movie that we've created it's like we're the director (laughs) we write it we create it and you know it's out there and and so what what you're talking about is maybe if I can continue with that analogy is stepping out of the movie theater taking it to say wait a minute there there's this other reality and so help us to see, if we step out of the movie of our life, uh, to see more clearly what that reality is that we could be living into.
2: Yeah, yeah. Another, another good topic for us to look at. Uh, do you remember when you were a little girl and you loved whatever you loved? I can remember when I was a little boy. I loved my Flexi. You know, then I loved my little motor scooter. And I continued to outgrow the love of first the bicycle, the flexi, the motorcycle, and then the car, and then, then the house. I outgrew these things because as I matured as a human being, my values changed. And my values changed in part because I'm brought into a, a culture that has a certain specific set of values. And in identifying with them, because I don't know what are the values there are, I begin to try to leave one thing behind, and grow into the next thing that will give me my identity. Because each time we outgrow a stage, a season of our life, we become identified with the season that we've been pulled into. I wouldn't leave one thing if there wasn't something better to go to,
1: right? Is that like a trapeze artist letting (laughs) go of of one bar because the other bar is there?
2: Yeah, and, and I'm I have I'm drawn to it because I'm falling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But, but the point being that I am drawn to the next level of my own development. So we can see that in the world, there are these stages of development we go through according to the years. This is very common in the Far East, the, the times of a person's life, to do this, do that, and then finally become a, a recluse, to enter into a contemplative life. In America, Western culture, we don't have that. But you've alluded to this idea that is it possible for me to begin to outgrow the experience of being Guy, the experience of being Justine? Because what is the experience of Guy other than this tumultuous outpouring of these reactions, these identities, these things that I insist on or must have, and then gradually recognizing I've been doing that for like 4,000 years, and not a lot has really changed and the world's certainly not any better, then I begin to see, you know what, maybe the task here is to be more an observer of my consciousness than to be the unwitting extension of it as it tries to build another world for itself. At some point, we have to see the futility of trying to build the world in our own image because that's what the world is now. And it's a mess. It's a mess. So one day I, I, I start to have this reaction. I get afraid. I want to control. I want to change. And in the middle of it, Justine, what do I do? I go, wait a minute. Been there, done that, not again. And then I have to bear the manifestation of this consciousness that insists on confirming and conforming the world to its own image. And I die to myself. And I become the witness of myself instead of the hapless uh, instrument of something that's never changed anything other than the conditions it keeps trying to change.
1: And in, in that, the question for me is to not be afraid mm. or to not pull back from that consciousness. because others are not doing it. Oh, yeah. Like I say. Oh, well, but the whole world, you know, yes. needs to be conscious. I mean, I'm coming to this revelation and it's feeling it and I'm having some success with it, <laughs> but because others are not, it shouldn't stop me. I, is that right? Yes, I mean,
2: yes, right? yes, yes. Right. Look, this is, this is beautiful. Cause here I am, I'm a human being, which means I have a nature that nature gave me and that, Part of my humanity has a herd instinct. It, it, it is inseparable. I want to belong to what this movement is, where it's going. And I'm terrified of being that the, the alpha wolf, the, the, the matriarch of the herd, the mother elephant, and standing out on my own because I'm drawn to the herd. But another part of me is drawn to something else. And that's where the rubber meets the road, where I actually become conscious of this herd instinct. And I understand there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm, on the other hand, drawn to something where I must be who I am and true to what I understand. And then God will confirm the truth. What is divine will confirm that action because you'll see the fear I had was the fear of who I was and who I was afraid I wouldn't be anymore if I stepped out of the, the march I can't do it anymore. God help me. And by the way, that's the first real prayer. God help me because I cannot be who I've been anymore. And the prayer comes from the divine. Believe me when I tell you that. And it's always answered with a new awareness of a new order of yourself.
1: Wow. I think you really nailed it there. Really gave me an insight. I want to also ask you about... There's this wonderful parable that you tell, I think it's toward the end of the book, and it's about all the animals in the forest that are are having an argument, who's the happiest of them yeah. all, <laughs> yeah. and, and it ends up, that wise owl says and I, I'm shortening yeah. this story and you may want to elaborate more on the story itself but the wise owl says well it's a turtle because he carries his home with him
2: Where, wherever and he goes
1: wherever he goes so I wanted to ask you what is the meaning of home in that context
2: what a wonderful so glad that you you Uh, read that and remember that story, because that is the summation of the seeker, the search, the sacred. The seeker is not separate from the search that is instilled in him or her by the divine. So what the seeker is doing is looking and taking this journey back to their divine celestial home. Uh, Whitman, the central urge of every atom is to return to its divine source. We long to return to our divine source. It is already within us, we are already within it. The question is, can we begin to go through this process of having discrimination, intention, and illumination so that we can quite clearly see where it is that we are tempted, where we can quite clearly see where we are tempted out of our home? Because what is home other than the whole awareness of where I am, what i am and what is moving through me as i stand in this current of life and accept what it changes in me as surely as i'm willing to be changed by that current then i am in my home doing what i am meant to do in my home and in that process being changed consistently into a higher understanding of my relationship with the divine
1: so in in that way we are actually very comfortable there is no discomfort there in that
2: yes there is but that but that comfort may include the awareness of discomfort see when how do i know not to go with the herd because damn i'm uncomfortable right now but intelligence awareness says this is not your path don't do that so here i am and i can feel the pull i can understand the temptation but to be home is to be the witness of the temptation, not to be the one tempted to try to complete myself through the movement of that herd. So here I am. I'm home at once. My awareness of that is the home. That's always the home, Justine, the awareness of the whole, and the whole may be beautiful, may be caught up in a splendid spring day, or it might be the awareness of something trying to draw me into suffering over something that I couldn't change, even if I had the power to do it.
1: So being witnessed, yes. but not, not being a participant to the uh, revulsion or grasping or rejecting that which is present. It's like, yes. oh, and this too, and this too. Yes. Is that what you're saying?
2: a participant in the divine process where in that divine process is the divine intelligence that knows not to compromise itself. So that as I'm present to myself completely, it includes this intelligence that cannot act against itself or any other human being. That's what home is. That's what love is, the agape that Christ spoke of. A completely different order of relationship to the world that begins with a completely different order of relationship that we have with our own consciousness.
1: Boy, you have just um, given us a huge banquet. To, I mean, <laughs> I, I gotta listen to this over and over again. So I really, really grasp all the all the things that you have presented and the wisdom that you have presented today guy i want to thank you so much for being part of new dimensions today
2: it was my it was my true pleasure to be with you again justine i miss you my friend
1: thank you thank you same here i've been speaking with guy finney he's um, a spiritual teacher author of many books, including The Seeker, The Search, The Sacred, Journey to the Greatness Within, and his book is available on his website for a discount. If you mention New Dimensions, you can uh, get that discount here in the U.S. And um, again, guyfinley.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3,759.
0: New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge